Welcome to the Pemberley Podcast, where we discuss Jane Austen adaptations. I'm Jillian. I'm Yolanda. Let's dive in with a quote from Pride and Prejudice in regards to Lydia and Wickham's elopement. How Wickham and Lydia were to be supported in tolerable independence she could not imagine, but how little of permanent happiness could belong to a couple who were only brought together because their passions were stronger than their virtue, she could easily conjecture. Elopements are just part of the scandals and surprises that take place in today's episode. So this week we'll be discussing Sanitan Season 3, Episode 5. We'll talk about the surprising arrival of Georgiana's mother, the search and rescue of Augusta Markham from Edward Denham, and what's going on with the Parkers. We'll also provide some history behind the rules of chaperones, along with context about elopements in Regency times. So let's start with a quick recap of what's happened so far. So previously, everyone got engaged. Everybody. Everyone. Shortly after the Duke and Arthur agreed to see each other, Georgiana and the Duke announced their engagement, breaking Arthur's heart. Lady Denham gets engaged to the investor, Mr. Price. And Charlotte continues to put off returning to Wellington when Ralph comes to take her home, only to find she may need to stay longer when Colburn discovers Augusta has run away to elope with Edward Denham and asks for Charlotte's help. That's a lot. It's a lot. (laughs) There's a lot that's happening and that's not even everything that's happening. That's just our core group. So let's talk about the first event that happens in this episode, which is Georgiana's mother, Agnes Harmon, or a woman who claims to be Agnes, arrives in town where Mary Parker hears her out, believes her story, and takes her to Georgiana, who is having tea at the tea house with her future mother-in-law, who is about to devolve into the worst. She and Tom are going to be in competition for who's the worst person in Sanditon. (laughs) And Georgiana's really shocked. She's not happy to see her. She thinks this is just another woman who's been reading about the immense fortune she's just inherited in the papers and is claiming to be, you know, related to her in some way. It's a shock for her. Yeah, and I think she even a little bit calls out Mary of saying like, why would you bring her like this? And Mary's thinking was like, but you've been searching for her for so long. I I would have thought you wanted to see her the second she got to town, but it's a very shocking event for Georgiana. She's in the middle of something else. Like, how can you possibly process the fact that someone's coming in and saying, look, it's your mom. And it's like, wait, where have you been then? (laughs) They are able to have a conversation and Georgiana hears her out. So Agnes tells her that she was brought to England by her master five years ago, and since that time she's fought for her freedom. What's more surprising too about this is that she was able to find Georgiana with the help of Otis Molyneux. As we know from season one, Georgiana had a secret courtship relationship, something with Otis. It was not approved by her ward at the time, Sydney Parker, and so they continued to try to see each other in private. Big event happens and they no longer we're seeing each other. So the fact that Otis is now kind of back in her orbit was able to, in a way, reunite her and her mom is a big deal. It's a really big deal. And I think it's also the reason why she feels inclined to believe Agnes because she just assumes that she's been reading the London papers, heard about this woman with a fortune and just showed up. And Agnes tells her, I don't read the London gossip pages. I did not learn about you from the media. 
I learned about you from Otis. I was shocked to learn that we've been living 50 miles apart yeah. for such a long time. And I, I couldn't wait to see you. I've thought about you every day since the day that you were born. Georgiana is going through a real big emotional transition this episode because she's never had a mother. And for a long time, she hasn't really had a father. And I think she's kind of raised herself for a lot of her life. Yeah. And she has become very accustomed to not needing anybody and not depending on anybody. And I think it's hard, but it's she's made it work. And I think it's difficult to have that parental unit introduced into your life when you've sort of just gotten your official legal independence. She, like she's got her massive fortune and now what someone's around to like what love her? tell her yeah. what to do. She doesn't really know what to do with a mother figure. Yeah. The thing is, though, a lot of the things that Agnes is telling Georgiana are adding up, including a necklace that she left behind for her in Antigua. So even though Georgiana is rightfully wary of who this woman could be, is she really her mother? She's now considering what she says because she's like, wait, the things you're saying are adding up. I've been searching for you for so long. Maybe this could be the truth. Maybe this could be my mother. But when Lady Montrose and Agnes meet. Lady Montrose is not exactly welcoming of this. She's not like, oh great, your mother, she'll be part of the wedding and all of these nice things. No, in fact, the exact opposite. She does not want her mother in her life. She does not want Agnes to be there. In fact, she pulls her aside and she's like, listen, whatever you're here for, I can give you money and you can go away. So let's just do that. I'll give you whatever you want and you don't need to be in her life. She's, I think for me, it's like, oh, okay, Lady Montrose, like your racism is showing. Like <laughs> it is like very much like Georgiana is acceptable to her because of the money, because she's an heiress, because of all the, the fortune that they will gain as a family. But she's like, I don't want the mom involved in this. I want our the fortune for us and us only. No, and to think that her mother would cause a scandal. The crazy thing is I think the real scandal is the fact that her father was a slave owner. I'm not in these times. And not in the, like that, but that's what I'm saying. It's like not in these times. Yes. But you know, it's it's just so heartbreaking that she would say that to Agnes. Yeah. I don't think Agnes believed her, but I believe that she loves Georgiana so much that she's like, oh my god, is my presence going to cause a scandal? Yeah. Like I don't want to do anything to hurt my daughter. And if leaving her again is the right thing for her that I'm going to do it. Like, I don't think she's afraid of Lady Montrose. No. But I think she she wants to do right by Georgiana. Which and I think just shows so much of like, yeah, this is her mom. You know, like she wants to make sure that through everything, Georgiana is protected. She's not there to now join in on the fortune or have a life provided by Georgiana. She's there just to reunite with her daughter, who in many ways she's also been looking for, but just hasn't had the resources to do so. I mean, we've seen with Georgiana, like Sydney Parker went back to Antigua, you know? She she had people like lawyers like try to find her like Georgiana had put a lot of money and resources into trying to find her and they both kind of came out with the same result of not finding one another but then Otis came along and, and was able to put the two pieces together which was really great but I will say because of the way Sanditon is and because of the way the writers just keep not letting Georgiana win I want a signed letter from <laughs> Otis Molyneux to be like hey found your mom she's on her way so I want to believe that this is right and this is real but I'm just so wary of what this show could do. <laughs> this show is capable of anything. And I feel like most of the time we're pretty good at talking about these characters like they're real, like they're friends that we're talking about. Yeah. But this is one of those times where we'll step in and say, guys, 
you created this yeah. and you're creating a really big mess that you will have to clean up at some point. Before we dive into the search and rescue of Augusta Markham, it's surprising actually that Charlotte and Colburn are traveling together unchaperoned. So what are the rules of chaperones for unmarried ladies? Simply put, an unmarried woman under the age of 30 should not be seen without a chaperone present. The only exception would be if you're with family or a close family friend. An example of this in Austen's books would be Emma Woodhouse with Mr. Knightley. He was a longtime family friend of the Woodhouses, so it was fine for them two to be seen together. In fact, a lady in good social standing should always be in the company of another lady. Or if you didn't have another lady present, it could be a male relative or less ideal, a servant. Again, season two Bridgerton, Eloise dragging her lady's maid around to try to maintain her somewhat friendship with Theo, the newspaper boy, was why the lady's maid was even uncomfortable being there, but she had no choice, and so that's why it was a little bit acceptable for Eloise to be there. So the only two times this rule was relaxed is if you are walking to church or on an early morning stroll around the local park. So two very kind of unplanned events. Everyone's already going to those places, so you just happen to be walking alongside someone. It's also public, you know, yes. like probably not a lot is going to happen in an open park or on your way to church. Yeah. There was also no touching. So if a man extended his hand when being introduced, you'd say like something like, ha, nice try, scandal, or something like that. <laughs> Uh, but not really. It'd be more of a stern, scandalized look, maybe a gasp, maybe a clutching of the pearls. So in Sense and Sensibility, Marianne taking Willoughby's hand in public is very shocking. It should not be done. It sounds like you should not be touching a man's hand unless there is an engagement ring on that hand exactly. with that man. That's like the, the way it's allowed. Pretty much. So towards the end of the Regency period, course, it became more common for ladies to go out alone. Now, was it acceptable for Charlotte and Colburn to be together in a carriage alone? Not really. In this show, because she's engaged and because, yes, Ralph gave her permission and because Colburn is her former employer and they kept it a secret. It's kind of sort of why they get away with it. I don't think they should have gotten away with but, it. <laughs> but, but if word got out, they would be the center of gossip and this would not be acceptable for an engaged woman and a widowed man to be together alone. Not great. So that's the some of the history behind chaperones in Regency times. That brings us to event number two, search and rescue for Augusta Markham. So... They're able to interrogate out of Leo that they are on their way to Falmouth. Off to Falmouth they go. Charlotte takes partial blame for her role in this, for encouraging Augusta to follow her heart. Obviously, we've talked about this. If she knew it was Edward Denham, she would not have given this advice. Nope. But unfortunately, it was just a very romantic, uh, flowery thing that Augusta was telling her. And she was like, do you follow your heart? You know, she and Colburn actually have this very heartfelt conversation in the carriage ride on the way to Falmouth. Young women are thought to be strangers to their own minds. It is left to fathers or uncles to choose the path their lives should take. As if we require saving from ourselves. Is this not evidence that she does? Even if he is unworthy, what she feels for him is real. She's a young woman in love. 
you know, the love that she has for Edward probably has something to do with the fact that he's been telling her that she doesn't know herself and that it's really infantilizing and it's insulting and that he should be open to listening to her. Yeah. And even if she's wrong, guide her instead of just telling her how wrong she is. Yeah. Having open communication with your niece. <laughs> you guys should try it sometime. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Charlotte and Colburn arrive at Falmouth. They are able to piece together where they might be. They find the hotel, they find the room, and they open the door. It's not a great sight. Augusta is not wearing her... She's like in her undergarments. She's in her corset and her hair is down and she's in the bed. Yes. And then Edward Denham is clothed on the couch. Kind of. But... You know, the implications here is like, what happened? You know, they, they kind of are imagining the worst, which is that Augusta is ruined. But they very quickly are like, no, nothing happened. But Augusta is like, our love will find a way. I love him. Please, like, we want this to happen. We'll just get married. It's really thanks to Charlotte because of that heart-to-heart conversation that they had in the carriage that Colburn is like, we'll forget this. Just come back to Sanditon and fine. You're a young woman. You can make your own decisions. I give my permission. Just come back to Sanditon and you will have a proper wedding. So that way she's not at risk of being ruined because we'll get into the history of elopements a little later. But this way it's a proper wedding. It's legal. It's with the support of Colburn. And Augusta's very taken aback by this. She's like, oh, I just had to ask. But granted, Charlotte has now gotten through to Colburn in a big way. I think it took this drastic action of Augusta running away for him to really wake up to the fact that, oh, I'm not connecting with my niece in the way I should be. No, and like something we didn't mention is last episode, he forbids her from leaving the house without a chaperone. He knows she's a flight risk. He knows Edward is sniffing around. He He's trying to protect her and he failed. That lock and key thing didn't work. And yeah. the worst has happened. Augusta's even trying to defend Edward and say, he hasn't taken my honor. He could have, and he didn't because he really cares about me and he wants us to be married first. So Edward's just kind of been on the periphery of this conversation and he stands up from his couch and he's like, actually, I totally was going to take your honor. I fully planned on doing that. I just haven't done it yet. They burst in. That's what stopped me from doing it. He gets pretty cold, but I will say... I think this is Edward's version of doing the right thing. He knew what he was doing. She had no idea what his intentions were. And Augusta's devastated. She breaks down in tears. She throws herself at Colburn and Charlotte. Edward just kind of walks away. He kind of had to stomp on her heart in order to like wake her up to the fact that this elopement was never about love. It was about him manipulating her. Yeah. It's interesting because a lot of this comes to the question of like, is Edward a changed man? Is it worth anything that he fessed up instead of going through with the marriage and and running away again and being like, no, we still have to go through with this. I don't know. It feels like to me, part of his speech was like almost saying what they expected to hear too. In one part, I, I do believe that like, yes, he was trying to deceive Augusta and was trying to get the fortune. But on the other, I think part of him didn't want to even admit to himself that he was having real feelings for her. So now he's just like really playing up the villain part and being like, let me just play the part that 
they know I am. They expect me to be so that Augusta's heart will be broken and she does not try to come back to me. I agree. Do I still think he's really manipulative? Yes. Yeah. I think he also doesn't really know how to escape that. Like, he doesn't like that Lady Denim and her German doctor are trying to reform him and change him. He knows he doesn't like that, but there is, like, a middle ground between being a lying, deceiving snake (laughs) and being doused with cold water every morning and, like, you know, reading all these church books and and being forced to think in a way that is not natural to him. Yes, I, I think he also kind of knows that he's a terrible guy, not that deep down. Yeah. So I agree that he played up the villain thing. It's possible he had real feelings for her, but you can have real feelings for someone and also do wrong by them. Like he doesn't know how to do right by people. And I think this is him being like, okay, like I'm actually not a good guy in case anyone was wondering. So in case you thought I was really trying, I wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Like he's embarrassed about that. Yeah. The other big change, I would say, is Colburn, because we really see him being more open with his niece and being more compassionate. Could it be that Charlotte's love is making him a better man? Yes, it is. It is. Spoiler alert. It totally is. (laughs) It is. So thankfully, we have avoided a great scandal and an elopement. It would have been not great for the Colburn family. But with that, let's dive into the history behind elopements in this time. So today, a couple might elope to not deal with all the fuss and costs that comes with a wedding, but in Regency times, it was not only a great scandal, but illegal. It all started with Lord Hardwick's Marriage Act in 1754. He served as Lord High Chancellor of Great Britain and was seeking to put a stop to irregular marriages. There was a rampant problem of fraud, bigamy, more than one spouse, and deception. So this act made it so wedding ceremonies must take place in the church with a minister, must take place during the daytime, and anyone under 21 must have parental consent to receive a marriage license. Many couples to get around this law would cross the border to Scotland where you could be 16 and have no parental consent, no minister, and get married. Basically, you would just be in a place and confess your love to each other and you were married like Las Vegas. Yes. So one such town that became synonymous with elopements was Gretna Green, as we've also heard in Pride and Prejudice. That is where Lydia Bennett and Wickham fled to. Some young ladies, though, were seduced and then abandoned, wondering if their families would take them back after being ruined. But even if a couple did go through with the marriage, they would return to face very harsh ridicule and scandal. So either way, whichever result rushing off to Gretna Green was never a great thing. As time passed, of course, elopements were no longer illegal, less scandalized, and more romantic. In fact, Gretna Green today embraces their history, and you too can get married there. So elope in a castle today in Gretna Green. They have set packages where where you have to like submit your license like two weeks ahead of time at least, no more than three months ahead of time because you can't plan too far ahead, Mm -hmm. I guess. Where's the fun in that? You don't go to Gretna (laughs) Green to plan. So it's not like Vegas where you can just show up day of, night of, and get married right then and there. There is a tiny bit of planning involved, but even still, you can go get married there whenever you want. And then getting married in a castle, especially in a place that's known for marrying anybody. Yeah. That sounds like a pretty fun thing to do. 
So normally, in every episode of Sanditon, there is a big community event that is taking place at the end of the episode where either we tie up certain dramas, more drama is set up for the future, but not in this episode. There is no community event planned, but that does not mean that there's not a big event happening, which is that Mary Parker has fallen very ill. She's currently fighting her own husband to not displace the working class people of Sanditon. She is a very good person, a very charitable person, and takes food and and books and medicine to this one particular family where the daughter has had a fever the entire season. And Mary has picked it up and she is pulling a Marianne from Sense and Sensibility where she has a terrible fever. She is essentially on death's doorstep. Yeah, Dr. Fuchs comes in and is like, better keep praying because that's that's the only medicine that can help her at this point. That's just what healthcare was back then was you just got to hope and (laughs) literally was like, she may not make the night. Tom feels wretched good yes as he should he should be blaming himself (laughs) which he is you know what i'll say this about tom parker he has a very good heart he lets his ego take over 75 90 percent of a given any given season but then he rallies because you know what if there's anything he's lucky to have in his life it's mary but i will say it takes death and destruction for him to be like Oh no, what have I done? It takes the half the city burning down yep. for him to be like, my ambitions got the best of me. Yeah. It, it takes, takes Mary Parker on her deathbed to be like, oh no, what have I done? It takes racking up a hundred pounds of debt with a lascivious soldier. In order- yeah, you're right. It takes a lot. So anyway, his wife's potential death has yanked him out of his state. And he says, I promise I'll do whatever you want. If you just come back to me, if you just, so he's on his, he's distraught. It's impossible to have a conversation with him. Yes. To backtrack from that too, Charlotte and Colburn arrive back in Santa 10, Augusta safely with them. And on their arrival, Ralph kind of appears out of the shadows and is like, all right, you've done the final, final thing that you said you wanted to do now. And now we are finally going to go back to Willingdon and get married. This is where Charlotte is really out of excuses at this point. She's like, there is nothing keeping her there still. Yes, Mary Parker falling ill. She's like, but I have to stay for... And at this point, this is when Ralph realizes, oh, like we said last episode... There is no last thing. There is never going to be like, but this, but this, this final thing. Charlotte does not want to go back to Willingdon. And she finally breaks and confesses this to Ralph that she doesn't want to marry him. And he knows that it's because she loves Colburn. He sees that he's seen the two of them interacting, how they can barely make eye contact because otherwise they'll get lost in each other's eyes. So he's not... Dumb, he he sees it all. So this is officially the breaking of the engagement between Charlotte Haywood and Ralph Starling. Finally. Hooray! <laughs> like, it's just kind of funny to me because, yes, A, I forgot that he completely apparates out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> He's just, no, He she even asks, like, where have you been? And he says, I've been wandering the streets of Sanditon <laughs> alone in the dark. Man. You know what? I'll give it to him. He's not that dumb. He, I think, has been trying to be a very gracious fiancé. He's been trying to give her space. 
And he's like, hmm, you're asking for an awful lot of space for someone who allegedly wants to marry me. I think that means you don't want to marry me. (laughs) And I'm really happy they came to this conclusion. They actually end on a pretty good note because he kind of, they both sort of concede that this marriage was sort of decided for both of them. It's something Charlotte's father has always wanted. And they're really, they still are really good friends. And I think they still care about each other. But Ralph, you know, he wants a nice farm girl who wants to be on the farm and has a lot of children and educate them. And Charlotte just hasn't been able to admit to herself that she wants a life in Sanditon. Yeah. In whatever capacity that looks like. And ideally, she'd like it with Colburn, but she hasn't allowed that hope into her heart because she has already been rejected by him. But then he confessed his feelings for her. So it's like that door was somewhat open, but she was engaged. So they couldn't really explore that. So now in a way it's like, it could be explored. Yeah. All, all possibilities are open again. Nothing stopping them. Granted, what we do know about Colburn is that he is technically, technically still courting Lady Lydia, but nothing's official there. Nothing is set in stone. Given how many times throughout this entire season, people have said of Charlotte, she's not married yet. She's yeah. not married yet. <laughs> I can't bring myself to care that Colburn is having Lady Lydia and her mother over to his place for tea or to look at the horses sometimes because it's even smaller compared to Charlotte being engaged and people didn't care about that. They're like, show us a marriage certificate or it's not real. Yeah. So I'm glad that Ralph finally realized the truth. And I mean, I think he was avoiding seeing it, but Charlotte running away with another man (laughs) really kind of solidified it for him. So I'm glad he got it. Um, I will say if this show kills off Mary Parker, the one true pure soul of this show, uh, the show is dead to me. (laughs) Like Like, as dead as Mary Parker is, if that happens. (laughs) No, literally, if they do that, I don't even know what the point, like, what's the point, you know? Because then it's like... It would be just awful. And I just feel like they just threw this in there like, oh, no one's died in a while. Oh, the stakes haven't been high in a while. What should we do? Who's who's the next, who's our next sacrifice? That's a little bit of the frustrating thing about this show is like they kind of are like, what obstacles could we have? Introduce obstacle. Next episode, it's resolved. And you're like, okay, well, I guess that wasn't really an obstacle. But in this case, I'm like, no, this is like life and death obstacles. Like, please, no. It really is. So now Charlotte Haywood, single woman. Colburn, single man, what could possibly happen between them? We will explore that in the series finale of Sanditon next week. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and support us on Patreon at The Pemberley. And you can email us with any questions or comments at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. Bye!